Really glad that you're here today. We've got a bunch going on. I don't know if you, when you walked in the atrium, if you noticed, today is service Sunday, and so we're focusing on everybody finding a place to serve. There's a couple things that we want for everyone who is a part of Freedom Fellowship. If you come here and this is your church, we want everyone who's here to have a, have a place to serve, and we want them to belong to a group. And uh, both of those are going on today. We've got Service Sunday. You can find out about different places to serve. We're kind of focusing today on our Freedom Kids ministry and serving in that. That's with our birth through fifth grade. But, hey, maybe you don't like kids. Maybe you think kids are annoying. And we've got other places you can serve. Not everybody. If you think kids are annoying, we don't want you to serve with our kids. I can guarantee you that. But, uh, but there are lots of other places for you to serve, even if it's not Freedom Kids. But there's a bunch of good stuff going on. Right now, while we're meeting, there are children down this hallway with adults. There are children down that hallway over there with adults. All of that's going on. They're being taught about Jesus. They're being taught that church is a great place to be, and you can be a part of that. And so uh, before you leave today, if you haven't already done so, go by the table in front of the big banner out front out there, and they can give you some information about that. Also, we're beginning our registration for life groups. Actually, it really began earlier. You could have already registered online before today if you're like an early adopter. But for the rest of you that are behind the curve, go out there and register for a life group today. And uh, those will be starting up in September. We have life groups. I was looking out there a while ago. We've got life groups almost every night of the week. Uh, We don't have any on Friday and Saturday, I think, because... Nobody really wants to meet then, but, but pretty much Monday through Thursday and Sunday, we've got a life group meeting somewhere that you can be a part of. So you ought to be able to find a way to fit that into your, to your schedule. So, uh, so go ahead and, and look for an opportunity to sign up for life groups. We're continuing a series of messages today, uh, last Sunday of it, called Kings, and, and we started this a few weeks ago, and Donnie preached the first one in it, and, um, and then I preached last week, and, and we've been talking about some of the kings that are in Scripture. There's a bunch of kings listed in Scripture. There's kings from lands like Babylon and, and Syria and, and Assyria and all that kind of stuff, and then there's a ton of kings from Israel and Judah, and, and we've been talking about those, and we've been specifically talking about kings that are ones you've probably never heard of, that maybe even if you read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, you probably read it, and then you forgot forgot about that guy later because really when it comes to kings we only know of a couple we only remember David and Solomon and maybe Saul and and that's about it but there's a bunch of kings listed in scripture that we can learn about and so we're continuing with that today and today we're going to talk about a king named Uzziah King Uzziah now one of the things about King Uzziah that you'll notice is his name is so odd that no one names their children that anymore. You'll find a kid named David or a, da- a kid named Solomon. But if you ever need, meet a kid named Uzziah, I want you to introduce him to me. Because people just don't use that biblical name that much anymore. But you, so if you're thinking about having a baby one day, just consider Uzziah. All right, That might be good. Give the kid a good start in life. He'll learn how to get made fun of in elementary school. And it'll prepare him for the world being a tough place to live. So King Uzziah. Well, when, uh, when we think about kings in America... Uh, We don't have a king in America, but something happened a few years ago that involved one of our kings in America, and on July 8, 2010, there was a king named King James, and King James, or as his mama calls him, LeBron James, And, uh, and, and LeBron James, on July 8, 2010, he did something that got the attention of everybody. It even got the attention of people that don't care about sports. And what LeBron James did is, is uh, he did something that, that b- before, at one moment, he was one of the most well-liked, 
most well-loved athletes in the United States, and then immediately, the next day, he was one of the most hated athletes in the United States. Now, what he did was, is he left the team that had drafted him, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he decided to go and play for the Miami Heat. Now, why is it that that action made people hate him so much? Was it because he left the team that drafted him and went to another team? I mean, athletes do that all the time, and I think they should have the right to do that. I mean, they've got a, you've got a right to change jobs whenever you want to. They should have that right as well. So, it, but, and people do that all the time, and people don't hate players because of that. Was it because he had beaten his wife or, or taken steroids? Well, there's a certain segment of athletes that seem to do that a lot as well, but LeBron James has never done that. There's never been any evidence of that. In fact, he's probably one of the most well-behaved, most respectful athletes that there is when it comes to those types of things. He doesn't do anything illegal. He's never been in any kind of trouble with the law. But still, just by what he did on July 8, 2010, everyone hated him. And here's the reason why. Instead of just leaving one team and going to another team and, and, and having a press conference to say, hey, I'm going to go play for the Miami Heat, or even letting the team make a press release to say that, he had a 75-minute television show called The Decision. And, it was, and they interviewed him for probably 45 minutes about how great he is until he finally let everyone know, and listen, I was there just like everybody else. I'm sitting there watching my TV. What's he going to do? So if they were trying to get viewers, they succeeded. And then when it came the moment for him to say, I've decided I'm going to go play for the Miami Heat, he didn't just say, I'm going to go be part of the Miami Heat team. He said, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. And all of a sudden, everybody hated him, and here was why. Not because he left his team, not because he'd done anything illegal. It was because everyone looked at him and said, you're full of yourself. You're arrogant. Your pride is out of control. You are completely and totally self-absorbed. And one thing that we hate as Americans is someone who we think is self-absorbed. I'm going to not even get into the fact that all of us spend hours at a time posting up pictures of ourselves online to let everybody see, and then we don't like other people who are self-absorbed. That, we, that's a, a message for another day. But one of the things, we don't, we don't like anyone who seems to be prideful, who seems to be self-absorbed, who seems to, to want all the attention all themselves. But when I started to think about LeBron James' life, what else could have happened to him? When he was 16 years old, when he was, when he was a, a junior in high school, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. When I was 16 years old, I had just gotten my driver's license and asked my parents if I could borrow the car to pick up a buddy of mine to go see Rambo on the, at the movie theater. That, and now, so nobody cared what I was doing. Everybody cared what he was doing from the time he was a teenager. Then his whole life, he had started to hear from people about how great he was. And then people started telling him he was the greatest. He was the greatest basketball player alive. Then people even started to tell him, you know what? You're the greatest of all time. You're the greatest that ever lived. You're better than Michael Jordan. You're better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're better than Larry Bird. You're better than all those guys which is not true by the way but anyway that's what they started telling him and so his it would be natural for him to begin to feel pretty good about himself for him to get prideful that grew up in him naturally now I want you to imagine in the days of the kings of Israel in the days of the kings of Judah how much worse that situation must have been for them we've got a king today Uzziah who just like King James he became king at age 16 He was 16 years old when he became the king of Judah. 
And people began to not only tell him how great he was, people began to bow down to him. When he would enter a room, people would bow down. They would get down on their face and bow to him because he was the king. He could at any moment, if someone he didn't like somebody, he could have them executed. If the guy who made his toast that morning burn it, he could have him burned at the stake or hung or, or whatever he wanted to do. So there was all this all-consuming power that was going on. And so for kings of Judah or for even someone like LeBron James, this attention, this power is fertile soil for pride to grow in the heart of somebody. And so for the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, it's very fertile soil for pride to grow up in the heart of a man. And that's exactly what happened with King Uzziah. And I want you to look at, at 2 Chronicles chapter 26. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and look at 2 Chronicles 26. Look at it on your phone or your iPad or your real Bible with pages, either one. And if you don't have one, it's going to be on the screen. And, and when, when King Uzziah first became king, at first everything went, went well. Look at 2 Chronicles 26, verses 4 and 5. This is how it describes Uzziah. It says this, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So things start out great. He's following God. There's this prophet. This, it's like a preacher. His name was Zechariah. He was, he was Uzziah's uh, like spiritual mentor, and he's telling him the ways of God, and he's, he's advising him, this is probably the way you should do if you want to please Jesus. Or excuse me, Jesus hadn't showed up yet. Please God. And, uh, and so he's telling him all this stuff. And so things were going great. And, and if you read through verses 6 through 15 of that chapter, I'm not going to read them all verse by verse, but if you read through verses 6 through 15, it's just this story of how Uzziah's kingdom became this great and mighty kingdom. In verses 6 and 7, it talks about all the wars that he was winning. He was undefeated when it came to battle. In verse 8, it talks about the fact that Uzziah became very famous. In fact, he was so famous that people knew about him all the way to the country of Egypt, which evidently back then was a big deal for you to be famous in Egypt. And then verses 9 and 10, it talks about how he, he became so powerful that he started to build things. It said that he built towers, which that was a, a symbol of strength. It said that he, he gathered herds. He had tons of herds, which that was a symbol of prosperity. And so then in verses 12 through 14, it talks about his army that he commanded. It said that it was 300,000 men strong. And not only did it have 300,000 men, but they were the best equipped army in the area. They had the best, uh, the best armor. They were, they were creating new weapons that had never been created before. And then in verse 15, at the first part of verse 15, it talks about that they were making machines or engines that were way for, for them to be even more powerful as an army. And then in the end of verse 15, it says this, And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And then when you go to verse 16, all of this story about how Uzziah was following the Lord, about how he was a great king, about how he was powerful beyond anybody that had been lately, all of that changes in verse 16 when it says this. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now we're going to talk in just a minute about why entering the temple was such a bad deal for him to do. But the thing that you need to understand in verse 16, it says, He was strong and he grew proud to his destruction. 
See, the first thing that I want you to understand today is that pride blinds us to reality. Pride blinds us to reality. See, Uzziah was a great success. He, he, was, he was this all-powerful king. Everything, everything that was going, going right in his life. And, and he did something that, that a lot of us begin to do. Is he began to believe that all of this success, the battles that he had won, the, the herds that he had gathered, the towers he had built, he began to believe that all of that was due to himself. It was because he was so smart, because he was so talented, because he worked so hard, and that's what he began to believe. And see, one of the things that happens to us when, when we experience success is that one of the things that can grow out of that success is pride, and then what happens when we get prideful is we get blinded. And so a lot of times our blindness, our pride, can actually grow out of success. One, I know you've heard this before if you've grown up in church and you've probably heard a pastor like me or you've heard someone in a life group share, you know, they talk about, man, all the, everything's going wrong in my life. My kids have been arrested. Me and my wife are about to get a divorce. My business has gone down the tubes. You know, I'm about to go bankrupt and all this stuff. I just really need to hold on to God closer than I ever have. I really need to hold on to God. And that's true. When that stuff's going on in your life, you really need to be sure that you're walking with God and, and, and being, being right there with what He wants you to do. But let me tell you what else you need to. It's when your kids are making straight A's and, and they're the talk of the town of how wonderful they are, when your marriage is stronger than it's ever been, and when you're making more money than you've ever made, you also need to hold on to God and you need to make sure you're walking with Him because out of our success oftentimes can grow pride and then out of that pride grows blindness and then we begin to walk away from the very things that made it successful. See, what Uzziah did and what he didn't realize was is he began to think that it was all about him but the reality was is that really his success had all come from God verse 5 again of of 2nd Corinthians 26 it says that says this he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God and when was he successful as long as he sought the Lord God made him prosper and then look at verse 15 and his fame spread far why for he was marvelously helped. The reason he was successful, the reason he won battles, the reason he had money is because God made it so in his life. It was God that had given him everything he had. Yes, he was talented. Guess who gave him the talents? God did. Yes, he worked hard. Guess who gave him the ability to work hard? God did. Everything that he had was as a result of what God had done in his life. And so as his, as his success grew, his pride grew, and then he began to be blinded because he thought that he was better than he was. Now, um, if, you, um, if you went to play, uh, I don't know how many of you play golf in here. Uh, if you went to play golf with my father-in-law, um, you would find out in a hurry that you probably aren't as good of a golfer maybe as you thought you were. My father-in-law recently just shot his age in golf. He's 67. 67 he went out and shot a 67 at age 67. Uh, it's pretty. If, if, Google that later, all right? You'll find out, oh, that's pretty doggone good, those of you that don't understand golf. But, but you would know pretty soon if you're playing with him, oh, look at him, he's pretty good. Maybe I need to work on my swing a little bit, that kind of stuff. Now, if you went and played golf with me, and you had never played golf before, and you played with, let's say you and I played golf every day for 360 days in a row. We skipped church to play golf, which you should never do. And, um, 
By the way, if you skip church to play golf, that's going to be the Sunday you hit a hole in one, and then you're going to be too embarrassed to tell anybody that you did it because you knew you should have been in church. Anyway, so, so but let's say you played golf with me for 360 days in a row, and, and you were comparing yourself, trying to figure out, how good of a golfer am I? Well, I'm going to judge how good of a golfer I am by looking at the way Cliff plays golf. You would immediately think that you're Tiger Woods because I am terrible at golf. I've probably played less than 20 rounds of golf in my life. And the last time I played golf, I got done and I'd spent all day in the woods looking for golf balls and my shoulder was hurting and I thought, why the heck? And I paid money to do this. I'm never doing this again. That's what I decided. But I'm terrible at golf. So if you played with me and you were basing your success at golf based on me, you would think you were amazing. Because for me to shoot my age in golf, I'm going to have to live to be 273 before that's going to happen. And see, what happened for Uzziah was he began to look around and he began to look at other kings and he began to look at people around him and he began to think, I'm pretty good. Look at the way I'm living. Look at what I'm doing. And what he didn't realize was is that his, the reality was is that he should have been comparing himself to the Almighty God. And how does he measure up to him? See, Galatians 6.3 says this, For anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He was blinded because he thought that all the success came from him. He thought that it was because of his talent, his hard work. But really it was because God had given it to him. He had blinded himself. And then what happens when, you get, when we get blinded by pride? And what happened to Uzziah when he was blinded is instead of trusting God for things, instead of trusting God to guide his life, he took the trust off of God and he placed it on himself. And so now he is a king who no longer is seeking after God, who's no longer trusting in the power of God. He is a king who thinks that he is all-powerful and that he is trusting in himself. And so when our pride blinds us, we begin to shift our trust. And our trust, we no longer trust in God, but we begin to trust in ourselves. So let's look and see what happened to Uzziah. After he shifted his trust to himself, what happened? Now remember at the end of verse 16, he had entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And then verse 17, 2 Chronicles 26, 17 says this. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Pride blinds us to reality. The second thing I want you to know is this. When we are blinded by pride, God sends us warnings. When we are blinded by pride, God sends us warnings. Now, I told you a while ago I was going to explain why Uzziah going into the temple was such a big deal. See, to us, that doesn't make any sense because we worship in a place where anybody and everybody can come in. Any of you can walk in here. It doesn't matter how you dress. We don't judge you on that kind of stuff. Any of you can come up on the stage, although I prefer you not to right now while we're in the middle of doing this. But, but you could. It's not against the law. It's not against some biblical law or, or, or Greer City law or moral law for you to be up here. But in the old days, when, when the Jews were worshiping at Jerusalem, and, and there was the temple that was built in Jerusalem, there was some very specific laws about what parts of the temple 
people were allowed to go in. And it was built with different sections. And so there was an outer section that pretty much anyone could go in. And then as you began to get further and further into the temple, less and less people could enter into that part of the temple. And so eventually you get to the middle of the temple, and there was an area of the temple that they called the Holy of Holies. And they believed that that the very presence of God resided in the middle of the temple. Now, we understand today that the presence of God resides everywhere. But at that time, the presence of God did reside everywhere. But at that time, God had given specific instructions that the only people to enter into the Holy of Holies were the priests, were the people who were of the tribe of Levi, which goes all the way back to Moses. Moses had a brother, Aaron, and God took Aaron and he said, all the people that follow you, your sons and daughters, they're going to be in the tribe of Levi, and your sons and grandsons and great-grandsons, they're going to be priests. And so you had to be of the tribe of Levi, then you had to be consecrated as a priest, which was this long involved process, and then the priest, and only the priest, could go into the Holy of Holies and he could offer a sacrifice on the altar. And this usually only happened once a year. And so it was such a big deal because they believed and and because God had said, if you go into the Holy of Holies, you're taking your life into your own hands because it was so holy. If anyone goes in other than the priest, God could strike them dead. And so they were, in fact, they were so serious about this that if, let's say I'm the priest and I'm going into the Holy of Holies today, they would tie ropes around my legs and they would, I would wear a robe that had bells all over it. So while I'm in there, they could hear, okay, Cliff's still moving around. He's okay. God hasn't killed him yet. And I would be in there and they'd hear the bells ringing. And then if all of a sudden there were no bells ringing and maybe they heard like a big slump to the floor, they would know, all right, God struck him dead and we're not going to go in there because we'll get killed. So guess what they would use the ropes for? They'd use it to pull my carcass out of there, right? And that, that was how serious they took entering into the Holy of Holies. And so here is Uzziah. His trust has been so firmly placed upon himself now that he believes that he is worthy to enter into the holiest part of the temple. He is blaspheming against God. He is taking uh, everything that, that has been celebrated before about the right way to worship, and he's throwing that aside, and he's saying, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to go into the temple. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. I'm going to ask God to bless me as the king. And here, instead, you've got these, these, uh, these priests on the other side that what are they doing? They are warning him to get out. See, this shows me that God, even the God of the Old Testament, who we tend to think of as being mean and angry and old, that God from the Old Testament to the New Testament, He is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Because you know what He could have done? And you know what Uzziah deserved? Uzziah deserved that at the moment He put a toe over the line into the Holy of Holies to be struck dead. But instead, what does God do? He sends people to warn Him. And God does the same thing for us. When we're blinded by our pride, God puts people in our lives to warn us that we are walking down a path of destruction. Verse 17 there, it says, Azariah the priest went after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Now notice the contrast here. On one side you've got Uzziah who who is totally self-absorbed, thinks it's all about him. And on the other side you've got 80 priests of God who they've got a reason to fear Uzziah because all Uzziah's got to do is say, I want all 80 of those guys killed. 
Those guys that are trying to keep me from doing what I want to do, I want them executed by nightfall, and I want their bodies strung up so everybody can see it. That's what he could have done. And so when they go to Uzziah, they've got some reason to fear. But the priests, they were more afraid of the authority and the power of God than they were afraid of the authority and the power of a king who had placed all of his trust in himself. That's why the, God, that's why the Bible describes those 80 priests as men of valor. See, James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is an example of God literally opposing Uzziah. He had grown so proud, he had grown so full of himself, he had put his trust in himself so much that God put men in his path to oppose what he was doing. And see, here's the thing that I think we need to pay attention to this for. It's easy for us to to hear a story about LeBron James and think, well, I'll never be like that, or Uzziah, I'm I'm never going to be a king. But I really believe that all of us, every single one of us, from time to time in our lives, we're blinded by something. And for a lot of us, it is pride. And maybe you're in it right now, or maybe you've been in it before, where you've been in a time where you're blinded by pride. But you know, other things can blind us as well. You can be blinded by money. Oh, no, not us. You could be blinded by love, or better yet, lust. You could be blinded by hatred for someone because of what they did to you. There's all kinds of things that can blind us. You can be blinded by an addiction to something. And so all of us go through times in our lives where we're blind, where we're where we're walking down a path that's going to lead us to destruction. We're doing something that we're walking away from God, and we'll even think that we're right. We'll even think that this is the right thing to do. Why? Because it makes us happy. And why are we happy to be walking away from God? Because we're blinded. We don't see the direction we're going. And when that happens, God will always put someone, He'll put something in our way to warn us and to tell us that we're going the wrong direction direction maybe it's maybe it's the scripture if you're reading the bible there should be a verse that you would read that you're blinded that god's put in that verse to say look at this maybe it's a a pastor or a life group or 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 a a a teacher or a parent or or a boss or a friend or or someone who works for you it doesn't matter but god will put things in your path to warn you just as he put 80 priests in the path of uzziah to warn him that his pride had gotten out of control to warn him that he was blinded by pride. When, um, when I was young, ger, still young, um, but when I was, uh, this, this is over 20 years ago, and I was on staff at a, uh, I was in seminary to, to uh, at, lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, and was going to the seminary down there to, uh, to learn how to do what I'm doing today, and and uh, I was on staff at a church, and um, and there was a there was a pastor of that church was a man named Dr. Campbell, and Dr. Campbell had been pastor of that church at that time for about thirty years, and uh, and at this time in my life I'd been on church staff for about two years, and um, and we had a, a deacons meeting one Sunday, and I don't even remember what happened at the deacons meeting, but we were all there, and then we came in the next day, and, and we're having. Uh, meeting staff meeting in Dr. Campbell's office. It was Dr. Campbell and me and a couple of other staff members. 
And we got to talking about the meeting, and I, you know, because I was 24 years old, and I knew a whole lot about church. I knew how things were supposed to operate. And I started running my big fat mouth about the deacons meeting and how these guys were idiots, and I couldn't believe this, couldn't believe that, and all this kind of stuff. And Dr. Campbell, uh, he was very direct and uh, but at first he you know he said a couple things well you know you got to understand that this you got to understand this and I kept talking and finally he said I'll never forget it I'll, rem- I'll probably remember it the rest of my life he stopped and he said you have a problem with your attitude and it I mean it just knocked me back now how did I respond to that well I'll tell you in a minute how I responded but at first you know I, I just got real quiet and I listened to him because here was the deal here was a here was a man who had all the experience in the world, and here I am. I didn't know jack squat about jack squat. I didn't know anything. But I'm in there acting like I know everything, and I'm running my mouth, and I'm talking, and all this kind of stuff. And those of you who have known me my whole life, you know that I've always been able to run my mouth, and it's something I have to stop myself from doing. But I wasn't stopping myself that day, and I was just talking and talking and talking about how much I knew and how, you know, all this kind of stuff. And what Dr. Campbell was that day for me is Dr. Campbell was someone that God had put into my life to say, shut up, you are blind. You don't know what you're talking about. Your pride has gotten in the way. You think you're a lot more successful than you really are. You think you're a lot more important than you really are. And you need to be quiet. And God put him in my life to give me that warning. And God will put people in our lives, when we're walking a a different path than we should, he'll put people there to warn us. But now here's the deal. When you're warned, when Uzziah was warned, what happens? Well, you've got to make a choice. Uzziah had to make a choice, whether he was going to listen to the warning or ignore the warning. Let's look and see what happens. 2 Chronicles 26, 19. Then Uzziah was angry. I don't think he's going to be listening to the warning. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. See, when we ignore the warnings, we put ourselves in danger. When we ignore the warnings, we put ourselves in danger. See, I I believe this about Uzziah. I believe that God was giving him a choice and that if he had not become angry, See, he was so focused on himself that he couldn't even hear the warning God was putting in front of him. That if he had not become angry that day, if instead when the 80 priests came to him, if he'd have said, if he'd have dropped the censer and said, y'all are right, I'm walking away from God. And if he'd have turned around, walked out of the Holy of Holies, got down on his knees and begged God for forgiveness, this is what I believe. I believe that he would have gone down as one of the all-time great kings of Judah. That when we talked about the great kings of Israel and Judah, we would have talked about David and Solomon and Uzziah. That's what would have happened to him. If he had listened to the warning and if he had turned away from his sin, if he turned away from his destruction, he turned away from his pride and gone back to do, to do what God wanted him to do. But see, he didn't want God to be the authority in his life. He was the authority. And he reacted the way all of you that have raised children or that have babysat children or those of you that are have been children, which is all of us, you understand how a child reacts. How does a child react when they've got something that they're not supposed to have and they think it's great and you know that it's going to hurt them or you know they shouldn't have it and you take it from them? 
And by the way, if you're a parent, you don't negotiate with them to whatever that is to get it back. You take it from them. That's another whole message for another day about parenting. But anyway, but how does a child react when you do that? They get angry. They throw a fit. They cry. You hurt their feelings. They don't like it. But what were you doing as a parent? You were doing what was best for that child. And so God doing what is best for Uzziah, he sends people to him to warn him. And how does Uzziah react? He reacts just like a child who's had his toy taken away. And the results of that for him were disastrous. Because immediately, it says, it doesn't say that he even said anything. It says when he became angry. (coughs) When God knew the anger was in his heart. It said that, He broke out with leprosy. And look at what it says the rest of that, 26 verses 20 and 21. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah, now listen to this, King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, For he was excluded from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Everything Uzziah had trusted in, remember he had taken the trust off of God, and he had placed it on himself, and he was trusting in his own position as king. He was trusting in his own power as king. He was trusting in his palace that he lived in as king. All of those things When he was struck with leprosy, he lost all of them. He lost his position, he lost his power, and he lost his palace. All because when the man came to warn him about the direction he was going, he ignored the warning and continued to trust in himself. Now, I told you that story about me a while ago. Now, the happy ending to that would have been for me to say, you know what, Dr. Campbell, you're right. And go home and tell my wife, Dr. Campbell is the wisest man I've ever met. And I'm going to try to learn more from him. And I'm going to quit talking about things so much that I don't know anything about. And I'm going to learn and I'm going to quit being prideful. That would have been the happy ending. But guess how I responded? I responded like Uzziah did. Now, I didn't tell Dr. Campbell I was angry because I didn't want to get fired that day. But I was angry. And I thought, what does this guy know? He's old and everything's passed him by. And I took that attitude with me. And and later on, it hurt me in other relationships. It hurt me in other places that I served. I brought that with me, and it hurt me. Now, I've learned those lessons since then, but I learned them the hard way. Because... God made sure that he drilled that lesson into me. But I could have learned it that day by listening to the man who God had put in my life to sit in front of me and to warn me about the blindness in my life caused by my pride. And so here's what I want to ask you today. This is not an easy, that's not an easy thing for me to share with you. My mom and daddy are here today. They've never heard that story. Imagine telling that story in front of your mom and daddy. So this is what I want you to do. Because they think I'm awesome. My mom thinks I never have done anything. My dad's a little more realistic. But my mom thinks I've never done anything wrong. 
But this is what I want you to do today. I want you to think realistically just for a moment about your life. About the direction you're going in right now. About the things that you're involved with. And see, God used Dr. Campbell to remind me who was in charge. That God was in charge. God used 80 priests of Aaron to remind Uzziah who was in charge. God was in charge. And maybe, hopefully, God would even use this message today to remind you who's in charge. Not me. God's in charge. And so I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. And if you've got something to write with, write them down. If you can put these in your notes on your iPhone, write them down. These are the questions I'd want you to ask yourself. Where are your blind spots in your life? We all have periods of blindness. Where are you blinded right now? And what are the things that are blinding you? And then, what warnings has God been giving you? Who's He put in your life to warn you? What does He use to warn you? Because what happens is, is, is one of the things that we do when we start to make those decisions that we know aren't right, one of the things we'll do, we'll disassociate ourselves from people who will warn us. We have people all the time that will be a part of this church up until the moment they decide they want to do something that's ungodly. And you know what they'll do? Now, not everybody, I'm not saying everyone who's ever left this church does this. So, but what, a lot of times what people do, they'll leave and they'll disassociate themselves from this church or any church because they don't want to be around people who will say to them, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? So who has God put in your life? Who is trying to warn you from the, from the path that you're walking because you're walking towards destruction? And then the last thing is, how are you responding to those warnings? If you're the kind of person that every time someone comes to you and they say something to you about the way you're living or the way you're acting and your response is, well, you don't love me because you say that. Or you don't understand what I've been through because you say that. If that's always your response, chances are you are blinded to something and you are ignoring the warnings of God. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm saying that because I've been there. I've been in the position where people have said things to me and I've thought, yeah, but y'all know what you're talking about. I'm awesome. Who the heck are you to tell me what to do? Or why are you saying that? If you loved me, you would accept everything and anything that I do. No. God has placed people in your life to warn you because chances are you're walking down a path of destruction. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, the band's going to come and they're going to lead us in some more music before we go home. And um, I just want you to, to deal with whatever God is doing in your life. And if you are right now in a place of blindness and you need to talk to somebody about that, I will be glad to talk to you. Donnie, Donnie, raise your hand so everybody can see Donnie. There's Donnie right over there. Donnie would be glad to talk to you. Ben, who's in the back, the, the, uh, the abnormally tall person with the giant beard who was up here earlier, he would be glad to talk to you. Our band would be glad to talk to you. Any of our folks wearing name tags. But don't walk out of this place continuing to walk down the same path that you were on before you came in here, ignoring the warnings that God's putting in your life. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the story of Uzziah. And thank you for 
how we can learn from it. None of us here are perfect. We're far from it. But sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're perfect. And so I pray today that as we leave this place, that we would be tuned in to what you're trying to say to us. That the scripture that's been put into our life, the people that have been put into our life, the messages that have been put into our life, whatever the things that you've put there to warn us about the prideful path that we're walking, that we would listen to those warnings and that we would turn around and we would follow you instead. Thank you for allowing us to have a place to worship you in that all of us can come, no matter if we're a priest or not. And thank you so much for the cross and for the mercy and grace that you give us through that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.